From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Deaths from opioids outnumber deaths from gun violence or motor vehicle accidents. It's an ongoing problem in this country, and here to discuss it is Dr. Brett Charrington, an assistant professor of emergency medicine and a senior medical toxicology fellow at Upstate. Thank you for being here, Dr. Charrington. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, it sounds like in your position, um, you're truly on the front lines of this epidemic. So um, tell me what your impression is. Why is it so huge of a crisis? Yeah, no, this this really has been a a growing issue, especially over the last decade or so. Um, A lot of the things that initially fueled this big opioid epidemic were uh, some of the pharmaceutical companies. You know, they really pushed for uh, aggressive treatment of pain and really pushed to, to have us consider pain as the fifth vital. Um, and initially, they, they really um, marketed their, their drugs as you know, safe and non-addicting. And you know, the number of opioid prescriptions you know, skyrocketed. Um, you know, the United States is responsible for the majority of the world's use of opioids uh, by far. It's a very pretty significant number if you look up the actual statistics. Um, and you know that's it really just got out of control um, and now we're we're recognizing that and we're trying to uh, take some steps to to scale that back and help limit the number of opioid prescriptions um, but uh, as we do so uh, you know because because uh, opioids were so prevalent for so long uh, heroin actually became cheaper um, and now as we're starting to scale back uh, opioid prescriptions, um, people are starting to turn to heroin more, and, and that's kind of fueling it. Uh, that and the, the combination of uh, synthetic opioids such as fentanyl and fentanyl analogs becoming more readily available has really um, made this problem what it is today. Well, I want to talk to you in more detail about all of those things, um, but let's just, uh, opioid abuse is not such a an issue in other areas of the world? This is sort of an American problem? Yes, yeah, okay. absolutely. And is it true that opioids are the number one cause of death among young, healthy adults? Correct, right? yep. As you stated in your intro, it, it, it's responsible. Opioids and, and overdose deaths um, are responsible for for more deaths than you know, motor vehicle accidents and from, from gun violence. Wow. And despite, despite the enormity of the problem, um, I don't feel it receives the the attention it should. I really feel that this is you know kind of the the ignored killer in the in America. Wow. Now, you work shifts in the emergency department at Upstate. How often do you in, uh, take care of someone who's overdosing on opioids? It's we typically will see at least one patient every shift. Um, sometimes sometimes multiple patients. Um, and you know, it, there's always a little bit of a fluctuance, but uh, it's definitely a, a daily problem that we face. Male and female uh, Correct, patients, yeah. pretty equally distributed. Yeah, a little bit more male than female, but it crosses you know all demographics. We see it in you know young patients. We're even seeing it in among the elderly and you know, people that we wouldn't normally consider to be affected by substance abuse. Wow. Well, and I imagine even though um, intellectually we may understand that, you know, opioids are dangerous and can can kill you, it's got to still be a shock when it happens to someone you love. Do, 
Do you see that? What's your experience with families in the emergency department having to be notified? Yeah, no, that can be you know very challenging. Um, you know, a lot of times family members and friends um, are really kind of at their wits' end. You know, they've been seeing their loved ones struggle with this for so long, and you know they want to do anything they can to help, but unfortunately, you know, there's inadequate resources. Um, and they struggle with that. We struggle with that as healthcare providers, you know, trying to find uh, the help that everybody needs. And you know, it, it's it, it's a, it's difficult, right? A lot of a lot of families, a lot of you know, lives are just torn apart by this problem. Well, we've talked on HealthLink on air uh, in previous interviews about the use of naloxone as an antidote um, to opioid overdose. Um, are people dying because they're not getting the antidote fast enough or at all? Correct, yeah. So we have definitely shown that uh, having more access to naloxone saves lives. Um, and we have you know, taken initiatives to try to help uh, disperse naloxone and make it more readily available. Uh, you, can go to, you can now go to your, your pharmacy and purchase naloxone without a prescription um, and we're definitely encouraging people to have that and to have access to it. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not always readily available. And when people um, are using opioids, you know, they're not always telling people and they're not always with other people who, to monitor them and potentially administer you know, the life-saving naloxone. And I know the ambulances um, carry this, but do you ever see or have you ever seen patients who've uh, come to the emergency department who've been given naloxone by a bystander? Is it out in the community enough that bystanders are using we it? Yeah, we have seen a few instances mm -hmm. with that, Good. but it's definitely still by far um, our first responders that are administering naloxone. And we have, you know, increased its availability, making it so that police officers and, and our basic EMS providers uh, can also carry and administer naloxone. Um, but, you know, we've definitely seen family members, you know, and, if, and we encourage, you know, if, if, if family members know that their loved one has a problem with substance abuse, we encourage them to carry a naloxone kit with them. And we have seen instances where family members have been able to administer it and save the lives of their loved ones. Great. Well, I've got a few more questions, but this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Brett Charrington, an assistant professor of emergency medicine and a senior medical toxicology fellow. Um, I've heard the practice of speedballing is becoming, I don't know, popular again. Can you explain what that is and what's being done? Sure. Yeah. So, so speedballing, uh, you know, it's always been there. It's never, never gone away. Um, but, you know, there have recently been uh, an increase in the number of cocaine-related deaths. Uh, but speedballing basically is just uh, people mix uh, an upper, such as cocaine, uh, with a downer, such as an opioid. And they're typically doing that to try to help limit some of the side effects. So if you use just straight cocaine, you tend to get some anxiety, some palpitations, you know, things like that. And so they'll use a little bit of, a, of the down or a little bit of the opioid to try to limit those side effects or vice versa. If they're using opioids primarily, they'll use a little bit of cocaine mixed in it to try to help keep them a little bit more awake, a little bit more um, aware, 
help keep them breathing. Um, so there's just kind of that mixture, and it's it's really a dangerous game. You know, they're they're kind of trying to increase the amount of one drug they can take by taking a little bit of another drug to to limit side effects. And unfortunately, it it has caused numerous deaths. Um, so and and as I said, the the number of cocaine deaths have increased recently, but when you compare that to the number of opioid deaths, it's still uh, Pels in comparison, it's it's almost a, an order of magnitude difference, the number of people dying from cocaine versus the number of people dying from opioids. So this idea of mixing two dangerous drugs, basically, and taking them together, does that make it that much more dangerous? Because you're mixing. Correct. Yeah. It's just right. it's very difficult to know the exact amounts that you're you're getting, um, and sometimes people will purposefully alter the concentration or the amount of drugs in, in uh, the products they sell for various reasons. Um, and so people never know exactly, you know, what they're getting into. And it's not an exact science. And, and, you know, people oftentimes will do this to try to use more than they normally could, and they get themselves into trouble. Well, let's talk about fentanyl, because um, I've heard that's a major contributing factor to the overdose deaths. What What is fentanyl, and, and why why are we concerned about that? So fentanyl is a, a very common um, opioid analgesic or pain medication. Uh, we use it very commonly in hospital settings to treat people's pain. Um, it's, it, it is an opioid, so it acts just like morphine or heroin. Uh, but it's a synthetic, meaning that it's more chemically derived and it doesn't share the same structure as some of the uh, more natural opiates like like morphine or heroin. Um, but the production of fentanyl has, has significantly increased. Um, the majority of the fentanyl that uh, we have is actually comes from China and then gets imported uh, into the United States through various methods. But uh, all of our all of our heroin is now laced with fentanyl, um, and a lot of times, um, when people go out to purchase what they believe to be heroin, a lot of times it's just straight fentanyl. Um, I've had people actually tell me that they they know where to go to buy fentanyl, uh, and they prefer to use straight fentanyl because it doesn't show up on routine drug screens, and so they know that they can use that and kind of. You know, still pass their drug screens and not get into problems from that. The um, autopsy for Prince um, showed exceedingly high concentration of fentanyl, so it's it's out there and people are using Absolutely. it. Absolutely, um, yeah. is it more dangerous than heroin or cocaine? So it's it's more potent than heroin. It's roughly a um, hundred to a thousand times more potent. So when people use it, they need to use much smaller doses. Um, and that's where people run into problems because, as we discussed, it's not an exact science. And the, the actual amount in, the, in drugs is not, you know, there's a, a significant variation. So when you're using something like heroin, you know, a 10% error in dosing isn't as significant. Uh, but when you're using something much more potent like, like fentanyl, you know, a 10% error in dosage can be lethal. And if you're, like you mentioned, you may think you're getting heroin, but it's laced with or is just fentanyl. You don't really Correct. know what you're taking. How would you even 
begin to take a safe, if there is such a thing, safe amount. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, there's, there's fentanyl itself and then there's a, there's multiple, uh, fentanyl analogs like furanyl fentanyl and car fentanyl and acetyl fentanyl and, and many others. And some of those, um, are even more potent than fentanyl itself, such as car fentanyl, which is, you know, about a thousand times more potent. It's so. Wow. Now, does naloxone work to reverse fentanyl? It does. It does. Yes. Okay. But sometimes, because as we discussed, fentanyl is more potent, uh, sometimes it requires higher doses of naloxone. Okay. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. You're, in, you're working in the emergency department, and you're able to help save the life of someone who's brought in overdosing on an opioid. What happens then? What do you do to try to make sure they're not out using again and back in the emergency department overdosed another day? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, as I stated, you know, a lot, a lot of our resources are unfortunately vastly inadequate. Um, you know, years back, you know, all we really could do was we would have one of our social workers uh, come talk with the patient and give them a list of outpatient addiction service uh, addiction services in the in the area, and then we would encourage the patient to make some phone calls and try to initiate treatment for themselves. Um, and unfortunately, that doesn't work. Um, uh, so we've made some initiatives here, especially at Upstate, to try to um, provide more options and better care for these individuals. Uh, Dr. Ross Sullivan, a fellow medical toxicologist and ER uh, physician that I work with, uh, has started up a, a buprenorphine bridge clinic. Uh, so buprenorphine, uh, also commonly known as Suboxone, is a medication that's been approved for the treatment of opioid addiction and opioid uh, withdrawal and cravings. Um, it's commonly referred to as a form of medication-assisted treatment. Another similar medication is methadone, uh, but buprenorphine is a little bit easier to prescribe, a little bit uh, more uh, often for methadone, you have to go in for daily doses. Mm -hmm. But with buprenorphine, once you've been established on the drug, you know sometimes you can get a one-month script at a time. So it's got an easier access for patients to use. And uh, so we've started this bridge clinic, and now when individuals show up to the upstate emergency department, uh, we can give them a referral to this bridge clinic. And if they're amenable to that and uh, willing to work with us, we start them on buprenorphine, and we um, help link them to an outpatient addiction program. And we continue to prescribe their Suboxone or buprenorphine until they can get transitioned to an outpatient provider who then takes over their, their prescribing of buprenorphine. We've seen a lot of success with that. One of the big challenges for these individuals is even if they try to seek treatment on their own by going to an outpatient addiction program, it's generally at least a month or so before they mm -hmm. actually see a Suboxone or Buprenorphine provider. And well, that's good to know that we have this availability that's almost immediate uh, if they act on it quickly. My guest has been Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine and Senior Medical Toxicology Fellow, Dr. Brett Charrington. And I want to also give the phone number for the Poison Center that he's part of. It's 1-800-222-1222. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.